Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hey, Scott. How's it going? It's going great. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Thanksgiving's passed. Yes. End of December. Mm-hmm. Longest, shortest year ever. Yeah. Kind of weird to think about. Yeah. It went it went by so fast yet so slow I all know. at the same time. I know. Mm-hmm. It is Groundhog Day. Nice to have you here, though. Yeah. Changing it up. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there are a few weeks left in the year. So uh, we thought it'd be a good opportunity to uh, let you in on all the things that we geek out about um, as we're helping clients plan for the year end. Yes. Or what we call year end tax planning. Yes. Yeah. And everything planning. Slash everything planning. It kind yeah. of all loops together. I think it's a good time to cover it. This has kind of been a crazy year for everyone. And some people did okay this year. Some people are just scrambling to get through the year. So how do you, let's give people a few core things that they can focus on to say, how do you finish this year well, despite whatever's happened and give you some things to think about financially. So what are those year end issues that you should consider and think about before 2020 comes to a close? Yeah. Where do we start? Most people, when they think of financial advisors, think that we're, we manage money, which we do. Mm-hmm. So um, why don't we start there? Let's start there. Yeah. Talk to me about money. We got uh, investments. Mm-hmm. I've got my investments this year. They're doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. What's going to be different about December than was the rest of the, the first 11 months? Yeah. So one of the things you can look at, and I mean, ideally, if you're, if you or your advisors um, get gets better at this, you do this actually long before just December. But one of the things you might want to look at would be if you want to harvest any gains or losses hmm. in your in your portfolio. Yes. So this would be non IRAs, not Roth IRAs, not four hundred one ks, but if you have a standard investment account. Yeah. So we would call that a taxable investment account. So that'd be like a traditional, or people call it a brokerage account. So like you're saying, not not retirement account related. Um, but if, if you have money that's been invested and it's going up or down in the markets, you may want to look at those positions to see, is there anything I can do here to help me from a tax position? Yeah. And there's two sides to this. There's, let's say that you had a, um, you had your income this year, maybe your income wasn't interrupted, but maybe you want some tax write-offs. Yeah. If you've got some investments that were down and we know that in a year like this, there are some investments that were down. Could you sell some of those investments mm-hmm. and purchase a very similar investment so you don't sell out when things are down? That's not the, what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But could you sell something, purchase a similar investment so that you maintain your overall exposure, but now you get to take advantage of that loss and you get to write that off at least up to $3,000 against your ordinary income? Yes. So so if, uh, if James bought the S&P 500 at the beginning of the year, and I, this actually wouldn't work performance-wise, so don't worry about the performance of this year, but imagine he bought it for ten grand. And now he's looking at it and it's worth seven. Um, actually, let's make it even better. Let's say it's worth six grand. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever you bought was worth 10. Now it's worth six. Um, he can go and sell that now. And then he can take that loss of $4,000 and he can apply that loss to his tax return this year. 
Um, the amount you're allowed to apply offset for losses against income is $3,000. And then he would get to carry forward that additional $1,000 because he had a $4,000 loss. So $3,000 gets to use on this tax return, gets to take $1,000 and carry it forward to next year. And then what James was getting at was you can also hold something similar, but not the same. So like if he held the S&P 500, he might want to choose to own instead the Russell 1000. Mm -hmm. So it's a large cap index fund too. Uh, but now by holding that, he can still have the tracking of the market. And so long as he's done that within the time allowed, so more than 31 days, he can lock in that loss. Yep. And that got really complicated really fast, and I apologize. I forgive you. <laughs> I think that, no, that There's that, a that lot to sense. unpack there. <laughs> that makes sense. If you can sell something that's down and buy a similar investment and take advantage of the taxes or, or tax offset for that, awesome. And the other side of that, Scott, is maybe this was a tough year for you. Maybe you lost a job. Or yes. maybe you're retired. Maybe your income yes. is much lower. Well, if you have income of less than $80,000 if you're married filing jointly, yeah. well, what you can actually do is you can realize capital gains and not pay anything in taxes yes. up to that threshold. That's what we call tax gain harvesting. So yes. oftentimes people talk, talk about tax loss harvesting, which is trying to reduce our tax bill. But if we're in a year that's not normal and we're in a really low tax year, it can be a great time to reap those gains and reset our cost basis. When we, redo, when we do that, you know, if if James had bought the S and P five hundred years ago at a thousand dollars, and now it's worth ten thousand dollars, well, he can literally sell the S and P five hundred, and then buy it again immediately, and just lock in that gain. He'll he'll pay zero percent in tax on that, and now he just stepped up his cost basis to ten thousand dollars instead of a thousand dollars. So. Yep. It's, it's a really good opportunity if it exists for you. Yes. So that's where investment planning ties into your tax planning to see what's your income going to look like before you take any moves on the investment side. And then how could you change that in a positive way, either realizing losses or realizing gains, depending upon what your income looks like. Yep. Um, you know, the next thing to think about from the on the balance sheet from investments, we were talking about taxable accounts, but why don't we talk about, um, <coughs> pardon me. 401ks, IRAs, all that fun stuff. If you're retired, just remember that with the CARES Act that passed earlier this year, you did not have to take your required minimum distribution. Yes. So you don't have to rush out to do that this year. Yes. And that's important. And a, a lot, if you are above age 72 or 72 and older, you have to take a required minimum distribution. That's waived this year. What this also applies to that some people forget or don't track is inherited IRAs. So if you inherited an IRA or a Roth IRA or a 401k from someone other than your spouse, you also have to take your required minimum distributions. Well, that too has been waived for 2020. So you can still take it if you need to, but if you don't need to and you want to let those things or those funds continue growing tax deferred or tax free, this could be a good year to skip that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, from there, why don't we think about if, if, um, what if we know that we're going to have more income next year? Maybe we took this opportunity this year to shift to a new job. Maybe there's going to be stock compensation happening next year or bonus compensation happening next year, and it didn't happen this year. What should we be thinking about for the rest of 2020? Oh, man, just all the new trips we're going to take with that higher mm. income, right? Totally. For vacation planning. Uh, from a tax perspective, though, look at how that's going to impact your tax bracket. What are you in this year, and what's that going to look like next year when you have higher income? Uh, this could be a great year to make Roth contributions, Roth 401k contributions, maybe even Roth conversions. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if this has been a tough year income wise, don't let that go to waste. Like what tax planning opportunities exist? 
Do you maybe have a 401k from a job you lost in March or April if your business shut down with COVID stuff? Well, if that's the case and your income is very low, does it make sense to roll that 401k to an IRA and convert part of it? Uh, can you use the compensation that you did earn this year and make a Roth contribution? So it's a, it's taking a look at it and saying, what funds can you get into an account that's going to grow tax-free forever in a year like this where you may not need the tax benefits because you might be in a low tax bracket to start with if something happened to income or if it's just a lower income year in general? Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, let's take the opposite side of that coin. What should we do if we think our income is going to decrease in the future? So Maybe we're going to retire yeah, that, and that's a common one is maybe you're in your peak income earning years and you're going to retire soon. And maybe you're going to move, you know, we're in California. Some people, they retire, they move out of state. Mm-hmm. So you might be in a high federal tax bracket and you might be in a high state tax bracket. But a couple of years from now, you might be in a low federal tax bracket and in a low, low state tax bracket if you move out of state or even if you stay in California or, or any other high income tax state. So if that's the case, then these are years that you should be loading up on your traditional 401k contributions or IRA contributions or any other contributions that you can set money aside to get a tax deduction, knowing that you'll pay taxes on that money in retirement, but in retirement, you'll be in a lower tax bracket. Yep. You know, the next thing I want to turn to is um, when we're talking with clients and we're doing tax planning, uh, one of the things we'll look at is what tax bracket are you in? And how much more incremental income would you need before you jump tax brackets? Yes. And it's not the, you know, the brackets, if you ever go look at them online, if you really want to geek out sometime, they they go 10, 12, then they jump to 22 and then go to 24, which is a little change. Then they jump to 32 and then they go 35 and 37. Yep. So it's the areas that I would be paying the most attention to would probably be where those jumps happen, mm-hmm. where because like a little incremental change of two percent is not going to make that big of a difference on your overall tax bill. But when those big jumps happen, that might those might be markers to really be mindful about. Is there anything we could be doing here to keep us in the lower bracket? Right. Things like that. Right. Fully agree. Fully agree. Okay. Um, so tax planning issues. We talked about that. Any other. Let's see here. So threshold of tax yep. bracket. What about if you are charitably inclined? Has anything changed this year with the passage of the CARES Act? Yeah. So, well, the, a couple things. The the, mo- the the tax act that was passed, not, not the CARES Act, but the previous one made it so standard deductions went up a lot higher, mm-hmm. right? So a standard deduction now is like 24,000 something. 24,800 if you're married. Thanks for remembering that off the top of your head. Um, and so basically a lot, and you used to get a deduction for charitable donations only through what was called an itemized deduction. Right. So what that means is what's the standard deduction? 24,800 for a couple. Well, then they would go like, okay, well, cool. Here's all the stuff you can itemize. You can itemize your property taxes and your payroll income up to $10,000, your mortgage interest, charitable giving, a few other things. And they go, okay, add all that stuff up. Did you make it over 24,800? For most Americans, the answer is going to be no. Right. So what they did this year um, with the CARES Act is they made it so that you can deduct up to $300 as an above the line deduction. And what that means is, is you get credit for that $300 without having to itemize your deductions. Right. Which is nice. You know, it's not going to be significant in any way. It's kind of an odd thing that they added in there. I guess it's just trying to encourage people to give to, to charities in the midst of COVID, I think yeah. is what it was. But I guess the way I would think of it is, you know, in this time, in this moment, we're at a moment where COVID's getting harder, the holidays are hard for a lot of people. So if you are charitably inclined, 
absolutely go do it just out of the generosity of your heart, one, but know, two, that you can deduct up to $300 on your tax return. So just keep an eye out for that. Yeah. And then say you were making larger contributions. And let's say, again, you live in a state like California, where the most that you can deduct on state and property taxes is 10,000. That's the cap. Let's assume maybe, uh, let's assume you don't own a home for a second. So you don't have any mortgage interest that you can deduct. And let's assume that you're given $10,000 a year to a charity. Just, well, if you're going to use your itemized deductions, you have 10,000 in taxes plus 10,000 charitable contributions. Well, if you're married, filing jointly, you're not going to itemize. You're going to take that standard deduction right. because <clears throat> it's higher. You're going to yep. take the, um, the 24,800. Well, if instead of giving to charity $10,000 every year, what if you gave 20000 every other year? Now, all of a sudden, you can itemize every other year and take more uh, take more of a benefit, a tax benefit for the giving that you're already doing, as opposed to spreading it out and not getting any tax deduction for it. Yeah. So. Another thing to be mindful about there, too, is more and more companies are doing initial public offerings. And so a lot of people who maybe were in the tech sector or the biotech sector, like you may be having events occur in your life where you're going to have really high incomes in one given year. And if it's this year, this is the year to think about not only just doing what James said of like stacking two years of giving into one year, it might be the year to stack like 20 years of giving into one year. Because if you're, especially in the state of California, if you jump into the 37% tax bracket, and then if you have a really big payout, you can jump all the way up to 13.3% for federal, I mean, pardon me, for state. So you can have over a 50% tax bracket. Yeah. That's an amazing year to give to a donor advised fund. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then do the giving out of it over the next several years as opposed to out of cash flow. Yeah, you're basically years. just shifting around on your balance sheet where your assets sit. You can only use those funds for giving from that point on, but it also helps you save in tax. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything else from a tax planning side? One thing that's com- I see commonly this time of year, especially for people who have Stock compensation, specifically around like restricted stock units and non-qualified stock units, um, is that there's a federal withholding that's mandated at 22% for for people. And a lot of people get caught off guard with the fact that they don't withhold enough Mm -hmm. uh, beyond that. So if you're used to making, you know, if you're single and you make, let's say, $250,000 a year, well, you're in a 35% tax bracket. Mm -hmm. Well, your corporation's only going to withhold 22%. So you're not actually going to owe 35% on every dollar you earn, but there's there's a spread there that you need to be saving more for. Right. And you can get caught off guard. So a little tax planning there can be really helpful. Yeah. And then if you own your own business and you don't have any employees, from a tax perspective, a, a solo 401k can be a very powerful planning tool. We've talked about this in a lot of other episodes. So we won't go into it. I think episode two was solo 401k or yeah. SEP IRA and the benefits. So listen to that if you want to see all the benefits of, of a solo 401k. Uh, but it can be a great planning tool, especially in a year like this. And if you think you might need one, you just have to have that opened up by December 31st. So it doesn't need to be funded by then, but ensure that it's open by then so that you can make a contribution all the way up to tax filing deadline into the new year. Absolutely. Great. Okay. All right. Should we think through some cash flow? Let's do it. All right. What's the first thing? Um, okay. Well, so when we think about ways to save cash flow wise, Obviously, we always start with the premise that you need to make sure that you're not going to go into debt by doing any of this. Mm-hmm. But ways that you could potentially save and reduce your tax bill, health savings accounts. Yep. 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 Yeah. Health savings accounts. You can put up to thirty-five fifty in per year if you are single or, if you're, or up to 7100 per year for a family plan. 
And if you're 55 or older, you can add another $1,000 as a catch-up contribution. Mm-hmm. And what's nice about that is we're getting to year end. And so again, Scott and I were having this op- episode because these are the things we're talking about with clients. We might be getting to year end and a client says, I've got extra cash. Where do I put it? Or I want to make sure that I qualify for a Roth IRA contribution and I need to stay under certain thresholds. How do I do it? Well, this can be a great way to accomplish both of those. You contribute mm-hmm. to the HSA. It's lowering your taxable income. It's a great place to put extra cash flow that you have that can pay for healthcare expenses either today or ideally in the future after that money's grown. So that's a place that people don't typically think to look sometimes because we all know about the 401k. We all know about IRAs. We all know about other things. But the HSA is kind of that, for whatever reason, it's not as prevalent. It's not as front and center when we're thinking about where can we add extra funds. Exactly. And you might also be thinking like, oh, I have one of those through work, but I didn't contribute this year. You can't nec- you can't go contribute through your company's HSA plan then. That's true. You could open up an HSA outside of that and fund it with your own after-tax money and still get a tax deduction on your uh on your tax on your tax return. Now that's not you you'd have to make sure the CPA knows what's happening and all that and then next year go ahead and try to do it through work cuz through work you actually don't have to pay FICA taxes as well. You don't get that benefit if you just put money right. in directly after tax. Right. Right. And then also looking at cash flow, just looking at uh, retirement contributions. If you're trying to think, where should I put money towards the end of the year? Maybe I have a bonus coming in. Maybe you just had some money that's just uh, been been added to your savings account. Uh, are you maxing your 401ks? Are you maxing your retirement plans? If so, are you maxing your spouse's retirement plans if they are also uh, covered by one? So just making sure that as cash flow is coming in, your end is a great place to revisit how much you're contributing just to put away any extra by the end of the year if possible. And also just to set yourself up for success for 2021 and going into the new year, making sure are you set up so that everything's automated so that you can hit 2021 strong and have everything go to where it needs to go. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the max numbers are 19 and a half thousand for an individual with a $6,500 catch up if you're over age 50, that's per person. Um, go look at those 401k plans though. And, you know, even if let's say you're, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, there's no way I can put that much money away. No problem. But did you just get a pay increase? Even if it's just a COLA increase, like a cost of living adjustment, 3%, Mm -hmm. the moment that happens, just go dial up that 401k by one or 2%. You won't notice much of the difference. Right. And you're really helping your future self out a lot. Right. Right. Do that every year and you'll be just fine. Probably. Uh, what about 529 plans too? So 529 plans, if you're saving for college, the anything that you put into a 529 plan, it's of course a gift to the plan to be used for a child or grandchild or whoever the plan's for. And you can contribute up to $15,000 per year to a beneficiary's 529 plan without qualifying for the gift tax or with, it, it, you're under the gift tax free amount. Yeah. And the reason that's important is you can give a lot more than 15,000 per year there's but there's lifetime exclusions and if you make a gift of above 15,000 you have to start filing, filing tax forms to report the gift so that it is added to your lifetime total gift mm-hmm. now with the 529 plan though you can actually contribute up to 5 years worth of the annual gift tax free amount so you could put up to $75,000 into a 529 plan for a beneficiary and it doesn't count towards the the gift tax amount so if you're trying to figure out where to put cash, that's just one thing to to think about. This is typically for a child or a grandchild or niece or nephew or whoever it might be for. Absolutely. Okay, so I know we talked about HSAs, 
Can we talk about one that people should think about before the end of the year as well? Yes. What everyone used to, what we confuse HSAs with are called FSAs, flexible spending accounts. Yes. And FSAs, if you ever have heard the term, the use it or use it, use it or lose it plan, that is an FSA. You really fumbled that one, didn't you? I know. Geez. (laughs) If you don't use it, you lose it. That's right. (laughs) If you don't use it, you use it. So this year, the amount you're allowed to roll over from year 2020 to year 2021 is going to be $550. Yes. So if you go check your go check your FSA account and if you have more than $550 in it, go see if there's medical expenses you had early in the year that you can claim. And if you don't have any of those, <laughs> go stay, do you need to see a doctor? Yeah. Like Yeah, make something up. Just go use them. Don't make anything up. <laughs> don't follow Jim, James' advice. Sorry. Yeah, we'll let that out. <laughs> no, you're fine. Uh but yeah, try try not to lose it for sure. And and if you are using an FSA, you should know for certain before putting those dollars in that there's probably going to be a medical expense that you're going to use it for. Like, do you have yeah. recurring doctor visits? Do you have recurring prescriptions or medications that you need to take? Because if not, you maybe don't even use an FSA. It's nice to use if you're going to use those funds because you get a tax deduction for putting money in, and then you can use the money tax free. But if you just put the money in tax free, great. But if you don't use it and that money gets lost, uh, it's it's an expense. It's lost. It, it, there was really no benefit to you. That's where a health savings account is different because that money keeps growing, but an FSA is different in that regard. Absolutely. Um, dependent care FSAs are very similar. So if you've been contributing to that to help take care of childcare this year, um, make sure you get any of those invoices submitted as well. So you get those, that money back. Definitely. And then look at your health insurance plans annual deductible. You know, you may, it may be the case that this year you've had a lot of medical issues. And if, and if you've already hit your deductible, and if there are planned doctor visits or planned procedures that you think you, you will definitely need, see if you can squeeze those in before the end of the year. If you've already hit your deductible, uh, keep going. You know, keep, get whatever you can in this year so that you don't push that to next year and then have to hit the deductible again before mm. your insurance pays the excess amount. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So from there... Uh, the other tax planning, th- well, year-end planning type stuff we would think of. Uh, when it comes to like estate planning, we always, we always want people to have all their documents in place. But you just want to think like, has anything changed, right? Did a divorce happen in the family? Um, is there a new loved one in the family? Like what happened? Did, did we did we sell something? Did we buy something? Like what happened and is it a properly accounted for in our estate plan? Yeah. And this can be as simple as reviewing beneficiaries on your investment accounts. This can be updating your trust or your will if needed. Like Scott said, is there marriage or divorce or new children? Uh, that that should be updated into your estate plan. That should be living and breathing and updated as life changes. So just, just a basic review. The nice thing about this is it shouldn't take more than a few minutes to do, but it's important because if it's not done, uh, you could end up leaving assets or leave, excluding people that you don't want to exclude in your estate plan. Mm-hmm. Yep. The other thing, you know, I was actually, I want to go back to it for a second because we talked about tax gain harvesting, but the thing that we, I wanted to mention that I, I forgot to note was um, Roth conversions. Yes. So do we talk about that? I thought we talked about that. Did we talk Maybe about, we didn't talk about, did we talk about Roth? Con- I don't think we did. Talk I think we talked about, about making contributions to Roths if you are in a, a lower income, but going to a higher one. Uh-huh. But if you're in a, if you're normally in a high income bracket and you went down to a lower one this year and you don't have any gains to harvest in a taxable portfolio, a Roth conversion could also be really smart. Agreed. 
especially if you're in the, in, I don't know how you look at it, but if you're in the 10% or 12% federal yeah. tax bracket because this year just income dropped mm-hmm. or something happened. Yeah. And and for you, for those of you listening, that means if your taxable income, if you're married filing jointly, is under 80,250, you're in the either the 10% or the 12%. Federal tax bracket, probably twelve yeah. percent. If you're single and you made less than forty thousand one hundred twenty-five, you're in that tax bracket. That could be a great tax bracket to fill up with Roth conversions, because tax brackets might not be that low for a very long time once they increase in a few years. Only time will tell sooner. whether they go down or up. But it's a good time to think about it, and it's something that we think about with clients. You know, when clients go and, and retire. Uh, and they're not taking their social security and their, their required minimum distributions now until they're 72. And maybe they extend, extend social security to age 70. There's these years that we call the gap years where we usually look to do things like Roth conversions and tax gain harvesting. That's just something that we'll look at as planners all the time. This is a year where a lot of people may have an opportunity to look at that. So, so just keep that in mind for yourself. Great. Absolutely. All right. Well, that was fairly comprehensive. Obviously, there's some details to all of this, but any other issues or planning points people should I think consider that's before enough. your end? But I would, I would, I would ask you know for the for the listener if you heard something along the way where it, where it piqued your interest, you're like, oh, that might apply to me. Take a moment to think about what can you do about it, how will you do it, when will you do it. Yes. Right. Because because the time is limited for many of these things to December 31st. And if yes. it's not done, it's not beneficial to you. So it's good to know you might want to do something, but actually take the time to learn and go execute on it. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's great. I don't have anything else. Me neither. Take action. Leave us a review. Subscribe if you've not done so already. And we will see you all next time. Yeah. Smash that like button. We like that. Yes. Thank you. See you all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.